before you want to hate on them and how dare them, realize that this is all they know. And most of the time, it has nothing to do with you Mm. and everything to do with where they're at. Welcome to the podcast by Mikhail Alphon. Before we get started on today's episode, I just wanted to point out one of my sponsors, Mike Me Audio, who actually created that incredible intro that you just heard. Now, Mike Me is actually responsible for creating Gary Vaynerchuk's intro, as well as uh, Brittany Crystal's on her Beyond Influential podcast. And what I love about it is it simply gives your podcast that high-end, high-production feel that really grabs your listeners' attention. Now, the good news is if you want an intro for yourself, you can actually go to micme.com, that's M-I-C-M-E.com, and use the promo code MIC at checkout, and you'll receive 10% off your first intro. And they make the process really easy. All you got to do is set in your script, uh, choose your music, choose your uh, voiceover actor, and they'll create it for you within 72 hours. Again, check out micme.com and use promo code MIC, M-I-Q-K, and you know the Q comes before the the K and you'll get 10% off at checkout. But before I speak too much, let's get on to the show. What's up, socialites, and welcome to another episode of the podcast. As always, I am super pumped about this episode, but this one in particular, because today we have Rachel Friend, who is an interpersonal and intercultural professor, as well as a mindset coach, a special needs mom, and a relationship expert. And I can only imagine where the conversation can go. Um, But before I speak too much, Rachel, why don't you say what's up to the listener and tell us a little bit about yourself. Awesome. Hi, everyone. I'm so excited to be here. I just, I get excited every time I get to share about what I do. I get excited to share a little piece of me with everybody. I ultimately hope that in sharing uh, my story, my experience, people feel open about sharing theirs and also can uh, learn a little bit about themselves. As you mentioned, I teach communication courses, something that every single human being on this planet does because we all communicate and the better that we can get at communication, the better that we could be with others, which is kind of why we're all here. So I'm excited to kind of share what I know, what I do and, and get to know you too. Awesome. Let's start from the beginning. Where are you from? I was actually born and raised in Las Vegas, Nevada. Really? Mm-hmm. Cool. When did you move over here? After high school. So when I graduated, I moved out to LA to go to college. Where'd you go to college? I started at the University of Judaism, oddly enough, okay. a little private school up there. And, um, and then I, I tra- didn't know there was a, <laughs> a University of Judaism. Yeah. Oddly enough, some people have never heard of it, but then there's like a sign off the 405 kind of by Mulholland and uh, the Getty, okay. the Getty Center. And everyone's like, wait, is that the college up there? That's the college. Um, but yeah, a family friend uh, took care of a couple years for uh, for me, which was really cool. So I went up there, wasn't my jam. And so I transferred to Cal State Northridge where I got my undergrad in communication studies. Mm-hmm. And then I came up to Orange County for grad school up at Fullerton and got my master's in humi- uh, human communication. Gotcha. Yeah. And now you're teaching other people how to communicate. Yes. We had a lot of great like pre-recording conversations. Um, and really, I don't even know where to start, but why not with why you feel like it's important to teach people how to communicate? Well, first, let me clarify. I don't teach people how to communicate because everybody communicates, but I do teach them how to communicate more effectively. Um, A cool little uh, fact a lot of people don't know is that you actually can't, well, let me put, you can't, you cannot not communicate. 
In other words, we're always communicating. And some people don't know that. They think, well, if I'm not saying anything, how am I communicating? But silence is a really powerful form of communication. And so realizing that through our nonverbal communication, um, an area that a lot of people are unaware of, um, we're always sending messages. And so if you're unaware of that, then there's a lot that you're kind of not tapping into. And then that can kind of um, impair your connection to others. And so with that being said, I teach people how to become more effective with communication, give them more tools, add more tools to their belt. A lot of people feel stuck where they're at. And usually with just a little bit more knowledge and a shift in perspective, it's crazy what opens up for people. How long have you been doing that for? Mm, actually, this year will be my 11th year teaching, which is wow. crazy. So over 10 years. Okay. So I got to figure this out. And I'm sorry, my mom would be so upset with me for asking this <laughs> question, but how old are you? I'm 34. Okay. Okay. I guess that makes sense. I would have been like, like just based off of, I know. I don't know. You look a lot younger than 34. I know. And people say act that. a lot younger. I mean that in a good way, by the way. <laughs> so I'm immature. Thanks. No. I know. I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Of course I'm going to get torn up on that. No, it's all good. It's you all good. You know what I mean though? Just like the energy about it. It's just, it, oh. there's a, there's a vibrance that sometimes I feel like gets jaded over, you know, after 28. No, I feel you. And first of all, I appreciate that. I love when my students to kind of get shocked, like, wait a second, she's not one of the other students. But um, <laughs> they definitely respect me. I haven't had a lot of issues with students. I'll never forget when I first started teaching, I would show up to class a couple minutes early. That's because after 10 years now, I show up to the class late all the time. <laughs> um, but in the beginning, I would show up early and I would sit in class with the students. Yeah. And then I would wait a few minutes until the class started. Yeah. And after a while, everyone's waiting for the teacher and I would start talking shit. I'd oh. say, where is she? What's taking her so long? Everyone would look around and then I'd finally stand up and get to the front of the class. And I'm like, hi, <laughs> I'm Rachel. <laughs> I'm, your, I'm your professor. Um, so I, I, would, I used to play those, those tricks on them. Why not anymore? That sounds amazing. I play other tricks on them. Um, I just, I tell them jokes. I just, I feel like I'm, I'm so much more comfortable in the classroom now. I think in the beginning, I had something about my age too. I think a lot of people think college professor, are they instantly associated with someone who's older for I think whatever that's reason. what I did. Yes. I'm sorry. No, not at all. Don't <laughs> apologize. It's totally normal. I just like went straight through school. You know, I didn't take a, a break. I went um, from my undergrad to grad school. And uh, I luck luckily enough was in a program where I was able to teach while I was in grad school. So instead of waiting, you know, a couple of years to get some sort of job, I was able to kind of transition right into it. Did you always know that this is what you wanted to do? So I always knew that I wanted to do something with people ever since I was young. I've always just... I've always connected with others. I'm sure a lot of it has to do with my family that I was raised in, um, very welcoming and open. Um, but it actually wasn't until I transferred from that University of Judaism. I actually stopped. I made a pit stop at a community college, LA Valley College. Mm -hmm. And I went there for two semesters and I needed a speech class to take in order to go to Cal State Northridge. And so I took this class. I'm thinking, oh, no big deal. And I'll never forget that first day of class well, I should say that a lot of other speech classes are like this, where they make you get up on the first day and say something. My class is not like that because a lot of people have anxiety around public speaking. And so I'm not going to just throw you into the deep end the first day. I get the logic behind it. I just don't do that. Nonetheless, that first day, the professor is like, okay, guys, you're going to get up in front of the class. 30 seconds, introduce yourself. I said, okay, no big deal. But what I saw that day, I didn't expect. And that was the difficulty everybody had actually getting up there. And I thought to myself... What is, what is going on with people? I hadn't experienced that. I had always been in situations, now that I realize I kind of attracted that, where people were open and we were, you know, conversing back and forth. But here I was in a speech class where people actually struggled. It wasn't what I knew. 
And it kind of blew my mind in a way that it, it made me sad. At the end of the class, I remember going to the professor and I said, is this a speech class that you need to transfer? He said, yeah, why do you ask? I don't know. It just seemed like everyone struggled. He's like, oh yeah, we'll talk about communication apprehension the next class, but this is normal. And when he said that, it was almost like something went off in me. I was like, it's normal to be afraid to communicate. I don't understand this. And then sure enough, that was the start of me kind of building up this passion to want to help other people not be terrified of communicating because that's how we connect with others. If you're terrified to open up, how are you going to connect? And so, um, yeah, that was just the beginning. And then through my classes in grad school, I realized how many more layers there were to it, how many more layers there were to me and opening up and just how excited I was to share this with others. Yeah. So you mentioned that people struggled or were afraid to communicate. You weren't saying that people were afraid to speak publicly, which I find interesting. What are some of the, like, the bigger problems that you've seen coming from this fear to communicate with people, with other people? Yeah. So when it comes to communicating, um, specifically, people do have this fear of, of public speaking. Mm -hmm. So um, communication apprehension is like the umbrella. And then public speaking anxiety is one of them. Maybe social anxiety is another. Um, so the biggest reason uh, individuals kind of fear communication or public speaking either way is that fear of being judged, the fear of being evaluated. And it makes sense um, when it comes to interpersonal communication. Uh, and I'll share with you, there's three fundamental needs that all human beings have. And that is the need to feel loved, the need to be included, and the need to be in control. Those are three needs that we, that we try to fulfill with others. And to kind of break it down even more when it comes to love, obviously wanting to give and receive love. I think about whether, whether it's your parents or your friends. Um, inclusion, which has to do with being included. I mean, think about a young kid who's not picked for a kickball team and how detrimental that could be. And then control just has to do with the fact that we as human beings hate uncertainty and chaos freaks us out. And so we like there to be a sense of control. So with that being said, when it comes to public speaking or communicating, if we're worried about what other people think and being rejected, um, that kind of threatens those needs. You know, am I going to be accepted, aka loved? Are people going to make fun of me? Am I not going to feel included? So all of those uh, fears kind of come up subconsciously and, and it's why many people struggle is, you know, are they going to judge what I'm saying? Am I going to mess up? It's crazy. When you realize that most people have that fear, um, it can kind of help that whole me too, I'm not alone in this, um, can help uh, calm it a little bit, but also just gaining skills in that area. A lot of people don't know what it means to communicate effectively. And so teaching them that so they have those tools can help as well. How, I mean, the fear of being judged, <clears throat> I think, in and, you know, wanting to feel included. But let's 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 stick with the fear of being judged. I mean, that's such a big one to overcome, especially if public speaking. I mean, it could be five people. It could be 5,000 people. Uh, I can understand how some people might be able to overcome the idea of talking in front of five people. But when it comes to 5,000 people, is there like, you know what I mean? How do you get over that? What's funny is there's differences between people. A big thing to get also is, you know, everyone is just different. Some people might be comfortable in front of five people, um, but uncomfortable in front of 5,000, but vice versa. A group of five, oh my gosh, no, everyone's looking at me. 5,000, no one's paying attention, forget it. So it's just, it's interesting. But let's go with people who are terrified of speaking in front of huge crowds. How do you um, get past that? Um, it's a series of things. And so it kind of starts at the root, understanding what 
makes you afraid in the first place. And if we can get down to um, whether it's being judged or evaluated, sometimes we just don't want to mess up or look stupid. We don't want it to look like we don't know what we're saying. I have a lot of students who English is their second language. And so maybe they struggle with being um, understood then. And so understanding those elements first, and then this whole other area about um, educating them on the fact that the majority of people in the audience are uh, actually rooting for you. Um, in other words, they don't want you to fail. couple reasons. One, and this is an, another area I cover when it comes to listening, is most of us are not listening ever. Like we're, we suck at listening as a, as a society. And that's because we were never taught how to effectively listen. Um, again, another, another talk completely, but we have like an hour. No, so no, we can I just mean an, oh, another subject, another subject. But yeah. my point is, is you're getting up and speaking. What if I were to tell you that most people aren't even listening to you? That's even worse. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but when it comes to a public speaking class or an, um, kind of an engagement where more people are talking, the people who are sitting in the audience are usually thinking about what they're going to have to say. Sure. They're not even focused on you. And if they are, they're not hoping that you fail. They're actually hoping that you share something of value. And so one thing I teach my students and potential clients, because I help people kind of form presentations, is um, share something that matters to people. Um, and there's this concept, it's deep speaks to deep, right? We as human beings want to connect. So when you share something from deep within, you're going to connect with something from deep within another person. And so um, surface talk, while it might be easy to kind of get started, if you just stay there, it doesn't really feel like you're going anywhere. We actually want to connect as human beings. We're hardwired to connect. Um, it's how we survive. And so, again, if you share things with people that really matter to them, you might be shocked that they actually want to listen to what you have to say. And if you do mess up and flub and, and skip over your words or, or trip on stage, um, the way that you recover and almost laughing at yourself, people feel that because we're human beings. And so realizing that most people fear this, uh, finding comfort in that, and then kind of learning how to navigate is the little recipe for success when it comes to communicating in front of a big group. The idea of having to communicate with people to survive, like that's like a thing in us, right? So this is really interesting to me. I recently took 30 days off of the internet because I felt that it was actually I, I feel like I communicate with dozens of people every single day, but that kind of communication wasn't satisfying that need for me, right? What are your thoughts on the on like social media and text messages being the primary form of communication right now and how that affects somebody like as a human? Yeah, great question. So I there, there's mixed feelings because I think when it comes to social media, it's an amazing tool, okay? A great way to connect people. It's also terrifying for what uh, the effect it has on people, especially our youth. Um, and so the problem is, is that here we have this awesome tool, a way to connect with other people across the globe in different ways, people who might not be able to, you know, become face to face with you. However, we don't really have this set of not rules necessarily, but these effective ways to go about it, right? And so if you're kind of given this huge, I should say a, a machine, if you will, and you don't really know how to you know, work it, then you're not, it could be dangerous. And so what I mean by that is, you know, people spending hours and hours a day on social media, um, choosing to text over giving someone a call or FaceTiming. And when it takes place of face-to-face -face communication, that's where the danger comes up because, now more than ever, um, our, uh, and it, I want to say millennials, but even younger uh, kids are really struggling. That's where the shift is, I should say, uh, the millennials, because 
this kind of boom in technology and social media, even me being 34, I remember the AOL days, right? My younger sisters, um, I have two of them, we're all four years apart. They even have different experiences. And so just seeing that shift is crazy to me. And it's not so much something's wrong with the younger generation. It's this what's been, this is what's been put in front of them. And so understanding that, again, social media is awesome, but can we limit our time? Um, and so we're bombarded with all of these messages and we don't really know how to process them. And so when you're talking about uh, connection or, or communicating, you know, we're, it's almost like this surface, oh, we're looking at people's pictures and, oh my gosh, look at their lives, but we're not really connect. We're, we're kind of connected through social media, but we're not necessarily connecting. And so again, when you're choosing to text someone or message them or be on your phone instead of communicating with someone face-to-face, you kind of miss that human connection. And um, Even a phone call is better sometimes, right? Oh, yeah. Well, it's just even hearing their voice. Remember I was telling you the whole nonverbal communication aspect? Um, So there's verbal and nonverbal communication. Obviously, verbal communication is anything spoken or written. Nonverbal communication is everything else, our body language, the way that we dress, also paralanguage, which has to do with the tone of our voice and our volume, right? The inflection that you add. Um, And so realizing when you're talking to someone on the phone and you call them up and they're like, hey, what's going on? You know, your first thought might be like, is everything okay? Because of that tone, that inflection in their voice, that's nonverbal communication. We can't see that. We can't see that online. Um, Think about somebody who sends you a message in all caps locks and you're like, are you angry? You're like, no, my caps locks was on. I mean, we, we even struggle with asking people to clarify. Like we just assume that what we see on the screen is the way that it is, which couldn't be further from the truth. And so being able to pick up the phone or even in that message, asking someone, hey, what did you mean by that? Are you upset? Oh, no, no, I was just writing this because of this, those types of things, things that I teach actually to make communication more effective. A lot of people don't possess those skills because they weren't taught. Um, another principle of communication is that communication is learned. So we not we always are communicating, but the way that we communicate is learned through our culture, through our upbringing. Someone might have um, been taught to make sure that you listen to somebody before you interject and share something, and someone might have not been taught, and so they constantly interrupt, and they never hear someone out because they don't know what it means to be an effective listener. Um, and so just understanding that we learn different ways to be, but uh, and that affects us uh, is huge, but when it comes to social media, I think, I wish, I'm hoping in the future here, there's some sort of plan to like, you know, how to really navigate it. I think Instagram just started something where it's like monitoring your your time or something on there. Your phone does. Uh, your phone as yeah. well. Okay, this is new. Yeah. So these are signs, but are you, I mean, are you just kind of clicking off and swiping away from this? Or sure. are you saying, wait a second, this is actually affecting my mental and emotional wellness because it is. Should I take a second um, to to consider this? So we can't just throw things at people and not teach them how to use it. Um, that's not going to help them out. You ever see that Simon Sinek um are you familiar with Simon Sinek? I don't know if I know who that is. I have to send you this link. But yeah. he has this whole thing about how social media is designed around our like natural inclination to like seek and find type of thing and how that produces like a dopamine drip and how we get ad- addicted to that. It's the same drip that is or the same chemical that is linked to uh, gambling, nicotine, cocaine, alcohol, like all the fun stuff in life, makes obviously. Sense. So it's Yeah, like, it makes sense. You know what I mean? And I think over that just makes your br- I can feel it. Like I can feel after being on the internet just or the social media, whatever, for more than like 10, 15 minutes at a time if I can even get that far anymore, um, that I feel mushy. Do you ever get that? 
Oh yeah. Oh, think about it. I mean, you know, your brain kind of focusing on this on this one thing. I mean, um, and 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 you're. I guess if you're responding and you're texting someone back, but if you're just kind of aimlessly mm-hmm. swiping, is it called swiping? Sweet, scrolling, scrolling. Swiping. Thank yes. you, scrolling. Okay, I don't even know <laughs> all the terms. You could be swiping. Okay, swiping. Yes, but scrolling and you're just. I don't even know if you're just double tapping or even looking at these things and and uh, and and what people are saying. So I get that your brain can kind of feel like mush. Yeah. And so I can't necessarily quote specific studies, but I mean now more than ever this push for uh, social media and how it's affecting our teenagers and mm-hmm. our you know youth, and really just showing how you know 20 years ago, um, you know we weren't worried about cyberbullying as mm-hmm. much. And so now it's like your kid goes to school, they come home, they play with their friends. And now, you know, you leave that stuff at school on the playground and now you're coming home and you yeah. could be subjected to that as well. And so again, it's not about, oh, rid social media and, and technology. How dare it? No, it's an amazing tool. It's learning and teaching adults, yeah. teens, everyone, just how to uh, more effectively navigate it. I don't even know all of the ways to navigate it. My point being that that's what we need. So um, anyway, when you were when you were talking about your brain going to mush, that's what I that's what I think about. And the more that you do it, um, and and the less that you communicate with people face to face, you kind of don't really work out that that skill. And then you kind of suck at being with people. A lot oh, of people do. Right. Percent. They're at dinner, and both of them are on their phones. Yeah, a hundred percent. Doing that thirty day cleanse was like the best thing. It's been I haven't taken thirty days off of social media in at least four years, and I'm sure before that too, before I started the business or whatever. But like my girlfriend can notices a a complete change in just how we're act- interacting as people, and then now I like I evaluate myself often, and so even like getting ready to get out the door for dinner on Saturday night or whatever it was, or yesterday, it was just like it was so much more of a struggle with like Instagram in the way of everything. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Do you deal with that personally? So it's funny because I granted, um, I feel like. I got lucky in the sense that whenever I was raised, I still had enough of that face-to-face. Like I wasn't so just, I wasn't born into this kind of social media frenzy and technology was still, you know, in the 80s, it was still moving forward. And so as opposed to some kids who are just like, hey, I had an iPhone out of the womb. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I find that there's times like that you almost get sucked in. You know, this, this gentleman that you were talking about, Simon... Cynic. Cynic. It makes sense what he's saying because I could see that it's very addictive. There's times where I just want to veg out. Mm-hmm. My kids are just sleeping and I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, let me let me scroll. Let me do this. For and then sure. if I don't pull myself away, I could totally see doing it forever. So I feel like I still have that awareness, which is huge. But I find myself having to actively do things where I'm at dinner or with friends. And some of my friends might be more, less aware than others. Like, hey, guys, let's all put our phones away. Because don't get me wrong, if everyone's on it, I almost feel, maybe I should be checking mine too. Let me yeah. let me see what's here. And so that's that's a big that's one step too. I tell a lot of my students is be somebody who sets that example. Yeah. Be that person at the dinner table at the concert. You know what? Why don't we put our phones away and just enjoy this in the moment? Mm-hmm. I'm sure for you and with your girlfriend, she probably felt like you were more present. Yeah, um, which a lot of us struggle with. She actually noticed how much she was on her phone as well. Yes. Yeah, so. Okay. So there you go. We're able to to teach each other and be that example, which is why it's so powerful. A lot of people think that self-work, it's like, okay, what about everyone else in my life? Yeah. If you work on yourself and you're intentional on it, um, you'll be that example for others. I can't promise you that everyone in your life is going to change, but you'd be shocked at how much you can impact others. So I love that your girlfriend noticed that about herself too. Yeah. She's great. 
anyways, I could go on for like an hour and a half about that alone. Um, my girlfriend being great is yes. what I mean. <laughs> so <laughs> you're also awesome. so you're also a mindset coach. I am. It's a lot of what I do when it comes to communication because it's really just shifting perspectives on things that you thought were a certain way, mm-hmm. but they don't have to be that way. That's interesting. Let's talk about perspectives a little bit and how this has impacted like your your. Let's start with your life. I think that's always the best way. When did you start? You know. Or have you always had a good perspective on life? But when did you start really noticing that perspective and focus makes a big change in how you experience life? Yeah. And I have to clarify too, it's not about having a good perspective, Mm -hmm. right? Because perspective is kind of subjective. It's Mm -hmm. just whatever is serving you and realizing that it's all in how you see it. Sam. Um, Yes. So I don't know what it is and I don't know where it came from. Um, I feel like I definitely didn't have an open perspective. open-minded view. When I was younger, I was kind of a product of my own culture and upbringing. And I think I have always been somebody who's asked questions. I know that side of me comes from my dad, um, as opposed to just kind of taking things as they are. I question everything from, you know, doctors to like, I'm looking, I'm reading the back of the box. I don't care if it says a hundred percent natural, I got to read the ingredients. Okay. And so, um, I know that comes from my dad because he's always been someone who researched and, 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 and questioned things. But with that being said, um, I do remember being somebody who just like everyone else, product of your own experiences, your upbringing and, and, you know, each experience that we have or that you have, you see a certain way, right? And that kind of becomes your view of those situations. Um, people who have run-ins with the cops when they're really young have a certain view of cops. People who have run-ins with the law, you know, when it comes to grades, if they, you know, in certain classes, all of these experiences paint our view of life. And so realizing that first and foremost, that everybody has their own experience of life. This is not the way that it is. It's the way that it is for you, Right. And your truth is not someone else's truth. And going back to this whole communication is learned, realizing that everybody learns differently. And when you know that, it could hopefully help you not judge others because you're like, wait a second, this guy who's doing something that I would never do before I judge him, I got to realize he's not me. He has his own set of life beliefs and values that he's going off of. Um, And so anyway, I just feel like it wasn't until um, actually grad school that I really had just this major shift in my own perspective. Um, one, I wanted to teach communication. I was like, oh, I really want to, ri-. my goal was to rid as many people as I could of their public speaking anxiety. That was my goal. I didn't realize that that was the, ste- the first step because there was so many other elements. Um, and so there was a grad class that I took and I'll never forget this one class, this professor, Gary Rude was his name at Fullerton, at Cal State Fullerton. And he talked about this whole idea. He the, the term he used was communication heaviosity. I didn't even know what it meant. Heaviosity. Really weird. I know. I want to name my band that. Right. <laughs> I, I love it. It's, it's 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 a whatever the word is. It's just you feel it, right? Yeah. But he basically was sharing how when it comes to communication, it's how we as human beings. The definition is legit. How we as human beings um, exchange kind of messages to come up uh, with a shared meaning. Like, how do we make meaning? Okay, how do we understand each other? How do you know that when I say the word bridge, um, I'm not talking about the San Francisco bridge, um, I'm talking about the game bridge that, you know, old folk play, all right? How do you know that? How do we communicate and get to that shared meaning? So he brought this up and I remember him talking about this whole concept that meaning is not in words, meaning is in people. And I sat there and I was like, what? And he's like, no, legit. Meaning is not in words, it's in people. Who do you think comes up with the meaning to words, right? Where do the, where do the dictionary 
come about? Did it just fall from the sky? No, a, a group of humans got together and agreed that this was the definition of certain words, right? So um, with that being said, we went into the connotative and denotative meaning of words. In other words, here's the dictionary definition, but then here's how you feel about it. Like, do you love dogs? Yes. Okay. Do you know there's probably some people out there who don't like dogs? I don't know if I would trust them, but yes, I know that. <laughs> okay. We can do this with cats. Like, I hate cats. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Why yeah. do you hate cats? Because they're they they don't cuddle. Okay. They're like they have an attitude all the time, and they smell. Okay, that's valid. Has that been your experience of cats, by the way? Yes. Okay. Carly loves cats. Okay, I love that. <laughs> Carly, you love cats. Does your cat cuddle, or does it do what what you need it to do? Yes. Okay, it's sweet. either way, sometimes, but nonetheless, she loves cats. So there's people who, whether it's an experience that you had, it sounds like that's been my experience of cats. Believe me, me too. Okay. okay? I love dogs. I don't not like cats, but my experience of cats have been like that. <laughs> You know, yeah. oh my gosh, mm -hmm. my cousin, and I promise you when she listens this, to this, she's going to laugh at me, but she has a cat. And whenever I go to her house, I feel like whenever I walk by, it just jumps out at me. Yeah. Okay. It has this thing against me, but that's been my experience of cats. And so with that being said, certain uh, words bring up different feelings for people. Mm -hmm. Let's say a child was attacked by a dog when they were young. They might still love dogs based on how um, the situation uh, was handled, but they also might be terrified of dogs. All of this to say, when it comes to the meaning we put into things, it can change. And so that was a, um, a really big moment for me because at that moment I thought, oh my gosh, I could make my life whatever I want it to mean. Mm. It doesn't have to mean what my mom or my family or my school or whoever told me like, this is what you're going to be. This is what you're not going to be. If meaning is in people and not in words, then is it safe to say that I could create my own meaning for life? And so that's kind of where I set out. This is like where everything kind of started in grad school where I was already passionate about communication, but I didn't even know about this realm. And one of the things I talk about, one of the, um, I have a, a little YouTube channel I'm trying to start. And one of my favorite videos, one of my first ones was this whole idea of the space that you create mm -hmm. and the way that you communicate those vibes you put out there are going to affect what come back to you. It's not magic. It's not science. It's just that we as human beings, we pick up on those things because we're hardwired to connect. And so uh, based on your perspective of life, like, you know what? I'm somebody who wants to get along with people. I want to hear people's stories, just like you said. Um, you know, there's good and bad out there, but I'm going to take the good as much as I can. Then that's going to be your experience of life, right? That's the meaning you're going to put into things. Um, and so I think for me, that's kind of what I want to share with others is that through perspective, perspective is in your control. Life is your perspective of it. Do you think that, you know, there is this whole thing where it's like you put that vibe out, you get it back, right? Is this, like, how do we explain this simply? Like, is it really just one of those things like, hey, I bought a red Toyota Corolla now, and so now I'm noticing every red Toyota Corolla there is. Is it that same effect in your brain? So kind of, but it's important to get that you might put that vibe out there, mm -hmm. right? But that doesn't necessarily mean you're always going to get it back. Um, the best way I like to think about it is, you know, we, if you know, well, let me back up and say, if you understand how people work mm -hmm. in general and realize that most people want to connect and they want to feel love, like if you know this in mm -hmm. the first, in the first place, then you can assume that if I am somebody who's generally friendly and open-minded and always is seeking um, to connect with others, if you're putting that out there, then in general, that's going to be received that way. 
But there are people who are unaware of where they're at, who are, um, who do struggle with people. And that even when you do put that out there, they might not pick that up. The key is, is despite those experiences and those situations, you still continue to create that space because that's the life that you want. So it's, I want a life where I'm connecting with others deeply. I want a life where I can find joy in the little things. Um, I know that shit's going to hit the fan a lot. I know that horrible things are going to happen. They already have, but I'm still going to choose to continue seeing things that way because that's the experience I want to have because your perspective dictates the experience you have, if that makes sense. And so when going back to your, you know, red Toyota, you might, you know, you might pick up on those things. You know, uh, I feel like when we want to see something, we will same with people. If I want to pick them apart and find something bad about them, oh yeah, we can do that for everybody. But if I choose to see the good in others, um, I'm also going to find that. Um, it's actually one of the things I'm focusing on in my upcoming workshop is choosing to see the best in others. So that way you experience that. Does everybody have flaws? Absolutely. If you tend to focus on the flaws, that's all you'll experience. If you tend to focus on the good, then you'll experience that too. And that doesn't mean letting people take advantage of you and not having common sense. Um, It's just um, a space, a mindset that you create for yourself that I'm going to choose to see the good in others and not the bad so that way I can experience it. I don't know if that makes sense. It makes 100% sense to me. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome, awesome. This is something that I've been personally working on for four or five years, right? That's awesome. um, So it definitely helps. Uh, I had a question for you. So we were talking about perspective and then before we started recording, we were talking about empathy too. Let's say, you know, I have this belief that if two people have a disagreement, um, that both of those people can actually be right because of their experiences and their beliefs and their culture, like whatever it might be, like you and I can completely disagree about something, but in your head, 100% you are right. And who's to say you are or aren't because that's your truth. And that's the same for, that's the same for me. And it's one of those things where I think as humans, we have to learn more often to not necessarily agree to disagree, but agree to understand where you're coming from. Absolutely. Right. Is that something that you see be an issue amongst people communicating with each other? Oh, absolutely. So um, you brought up a couple of things, empathy, but when you were talking about disagreement, I instantly was thinking of conflict, a huge mm. um, concept I cover with my clients and my students. And it actually comes kind of toward the end of my program because in order to really understand um, how you deal with conflict, you need to understand all of the other elements first. It's not one of the first things. Um, and one of the things that came to mind is asking yourself and anyone else, when you think of conflict or disagreement, what does it mean to you, right? Again, going back to that meaning. Mm -hmm. um, And so realizing that meaning doesn't lie in words. And so we can look at the dictionary definition of conflict, which I think is like a disagreement between two parties. But some people think of conflict and they're just like, oh my gosh, run for the hills, or this is bad, or this Mm -hmm. is something, who knows? Realizing that the way that you define conflict or disagreement is going to be the way that you approach it. If you're terrified of it, if it scares the shit out of you, that's going to come up in your experience of it. And so um, seeing conflict as, for example, an opportunity is going to get you one step closer to maybe understanding, wait a second, where might this person be coming from? And what is this opportunity? Is this an opportunity for us to kind of see a different way? Is it an opportunity for us to kind of grow and let go of old ways? Who knows? But um Definitely understanding um, how you see it first, like your perspective on disagreement or bumping heads with others is going to help you then try to um, 
understand others, right? If you don't have a full grip on who you are, um, and this is one of the first levels, that self-awareness, if you don't know yourself, it's going to be really tough for you to connect with others and understand them because you have no idea where you're coming from. So empathy is huge and it takes work because to truly have empathy for someone else, you also have to have a little bit of empathy for yourself and that you're human and that you have faults. Sam, you got to meet my friend Saba. She's the only person on the planet other than you that I've met who says you have to have empathy for yourself. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and it's I think it's so important. Sorry, I got really excited. Oh, I'm so happy. Yeah. No, this is great. I love this, by the way. You know, when we when you talk with people and then other things kind of come up um, for Interestingly them. Interestingly enough, she's an educator as well. She taught uh, K-12 and she also did um, higher education at USC and stuff like that. So I love that. Very interesting. I'm I sorry love, to cut you off. No, but that's okay. I love, I love her already knowing that she's in the education system too, because yeah. we need more people like that. Um, so yeah, when it comes to empathy, which I'll kind of segue off here in a minute, um, realizing, yes, well, one, understanding your self-concept, your mm-hmm. self-worth, um, all of that is key. It's literally one of the first things I talk about. One of the things I'll talk about in my um, workshop, because if you, again, don't understand yourself, why you think and feel the way that you do, where it comes from, it's going to be really hard for you to then approach other things effectively. It's always going to be um, either misdirected or not fully what you were hoping for. And so um, one of the biggest misconceptions with empathy is some people think, you know what, I'm trying to put myself in someone else's shoes, Mm -hmm. right? That's what empathy is, right? Right. Um, But what we struggle with is, let let me try to see it from your perspective, The issue with that is we see things from the other person's perspective, yet we're still standing in our own shoes, okay? Mm -hmm. So I'm still seeing things out of my eyes, trying to kind of, you know, picture where you're coming from. And I think the true test of empathy is to completely suspend judgment, to say, I am not this person. What they're feeling and thinking is valid, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Because just like you were saying, that's their truth. I don't have to agree with it, but I'm also not going to judge it. Now, behaviors is something else. You know, somebody can think and feel a certain way, but if they act on it, that's something that can be manipulated and changed. Mm -hmm. But what we feel and think, that's our own. And so when we judge the way other people feel and what they think, we're kind of entering into this like losing battle because that's going to be something that someone completely feels on their own. So seeking to understand someone, the the next step would be, well, one, I understand that we're different and you're going to see things differently. This is where an effective communicator comes in and an emotionally intelligent one, something I'm very passionate about, emotional intelligence. But then taking that step forward to understand, tell me why you feel this way. Um, Tell me where this might be coming from so I can understand you, right? Seek to understand before being understood. One of my favorite quotes from Stephen Covey, because when you do, you'll have a better understanding in general. Mm -hmm. Some people think, well, wait a second, if I'm looking at it from the other person's perspective, what about me? What about me? What about my perspective? And isn't this what about me, that other need of like significance and to be included? Okay. Yes. But, um, that when, what about me usually has to do with your ego. Okay. When you have empathy, your ego, you're, you're completely detached from it. Hmm. Your ego can't exist when, when you're trying to practice empathy, it's like an oxymoron. So you're able to then suspend that judgment, suspend what you're thinking, that ego, that view, like my view's better and say, wait a second, you're another human being who has another view, Mm -hmm. which is still valid. I just need to see where that's coming from. Can we meet in the middle? And hopefully maybe you can see my view as well. Um, 
But my point being is that true empathy is suspending judgment and understanding that this other human being is coming from their place, from, from their own internal experience, something that you'll never know because you're not there, them. Um, and I have to share this with you. I told you about that grad instructor just because we're talking about empathy, how deep this runs. He said to me, or the class, I should say, I felt like he was talking directly to me. He said, when it comes to empathy, when it comes to suspending judgment, let me bring up this example. I'm sure you've heard of Adolf Hitler. Yes. Okay. I've heard of that guy. Some people have heard of him, but they have no idea what he did. So it's just crazy. But nonetheless. Um, what do you mean they don't have any idea what he did? Like they, they have no idea about his role in, in World War II oh, or, you know, how okay. many people were, you know, murdered and, and killed. A lot of people don't know. Sure. So um, with that being said, understanding that someone like Adolf Hitler, who had so much power, you know, he asked this question, if you guys were Adolf Hitler, could you imagine abusing the power in that way? And of course, everyone's like, no way. I can't believe he would do such a horrible thing. Right. And then he goes, well, what if I told you that if you were Adolf Hitler in this lifetime, you would have done exactly as he did. Right. And you're sitting there like, wait, no, no, I wouldn't. He goes, you would, because you would have been him operating from his kind of window, his view of life. Um, in other words, uh, you know, it's weird to think of empathy with Adolf Hitler. Again, it literally makes me, it gives me goosebumps. Sure. Okay. But the point is realizing that understanding that people operate from their own place um, and suspending that judgment is the first step. And so if you were that person, you're, you know, in, in a disagreement, you guys are going about a situation completely different. If you were that person in their shoes, seeing through their eyes, you would see exactly as they did. You would be doing as they are doing which would take away, if I were you, I would do this. And why is he doing this? Because um, you're coming at it from your view. So it was crazy, but really just opening up my mind like, holy shit. Yeah. To really see something from someone else's perspective and to understand, it's almost, I don't, I don't know if you could ever fully understand, you can attempt to, but I, again, I don't know what brought Adolf Hitler to what he did, but I will say that whatever life he had, whatever views he had, whatever perspective he had, led him down that path. And and sure enough, he, he took action. So it's just a crazy way to think. It is kind of crazy to that. It's crazy to think that in his head, he was absolutely right. You know what I'm saying? Yes. It doesn't make what he did it kinda, okay. It kind of messes me up saying that out loud. I know, like, I know. Yeah. And believe me, and it, I'm Jewish, yes, by the way. I, so there's no like, oh, hello, I'm for eight. No, not at all. But that's not what this is about. And that's right. why it's so twisted. Yeah. But realizing that it has nothing to do with agreeing, yeah. right? You know, the agree to disagree. I don't condone his behavior. No way. Um, but it's not about that. It's just realizing what kind of uh, takes people down a, a certain um, a certain path. Do you watch the show This Is Us? No. Oh, my God. It's so good. So I'll, I should watch this show. It's so good. I, I cry every episode, but I want to tell you why <laughs> no. I love it. And I why, can't watch it then. I know. It's just so real. Why it um, why it gets me and why I think we need more shows like it, it's great because it really shows how someone's past mm -hmm. can affect the way that they are. Mm -hmm. it, it, you know, it shows people's future. But I feel like when we judge people and we see them, we're looking at them right there as they are. We don't give them a story. We don't know their story, Right. Because I truly believe that if you sat down with every single person that you encountered and you heard their entire story from the beginning, you'd be able to find love for everybody because you would hear how it started. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, for and sure. so this, you know, you, because at the end of the day, a child who comes into this, they're so innocent. Yeah. Children are not born, you know, trying to hate on the world. They don't have these plans to take over society. No, it's through their experiences, their upbringing, some of them really unfortunate experiences, but. Nonetheless, if you saw this entire story, you'd be like, 
holy shit, that's where it turned. Or, oh my gosh, I could totally understand. Yeah. But we just judge from what we see. We don't have that empathy to realize, damn, this person might be hurting. And I have no idea why. Yeah. Have you been able to see this like dramatically impact the people that you're teaching and how they experience life? 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like one of the highest levels to like, I don't know, there's, if, if there's even levels to communication, I've been teaching this shit for so long and yeah. I'm still working on myself. But I'll tell you that you know you've really uh, become effective when you can find empathy for people that you really struggle with. Mm. People that you almost like despise. It's almost like you take a step back and you realize, oh my gosh, I feel sad. I I hurt for you because whatever your story was, whatever your life was, led you to this place where you're now taking this out on me. And I know that sounds crazy because usually we get defensive. No, you don't know what my mom did. You don't know what my dad did. Oh, if you were there and saw what he did, it's almost like finding empathy for the bully who I know that you say ruined your life and and that's valid. But being able to look back and say, this person came from a broken place and not because you want to go be best friends with the bully and let me take you out for a drink. But so you kind of absolve that, that weight. I'm really big on forgiveness. So what is, so for example, I, I personally know, but for the listener who might not see the point in giving a shit about what the bully feels like, what is the point? Yeah. So, um, I, I, I said forgiveness too, but usually, um, if we're holding on to something, you know, we're resent, we're, we're, we have a lot of resentment. We're holding this grudge. It is affecting us mm-hmm. physiologically. I mean, it is affecting our well being. Um, there's a difference if we let something go and we feel empowered, but usually we're holding on to, no, this happened to me, mm-hmm. right? Cause you're still attached to it by choosing to forgive or finding empathy. You're detaching yourself from, um, from what had gone down and instead kind of letting that, that weight go. Like I'm no longer letting this person, this situation kind of control what I do. And I say that because based on what people have gone through, you know, that kind of victim mentality, I can no longer, you know, I can't trust people. Um, I was pushed around when I was younger. And so people might continue to do that to me. And so there, right there, you're kind of holding yourself back because of something that happened to you. When you choose to find empathy and forgive, you say, wait, this is my life. Mm -hmm. I know that I went through this. It wasn't a great experience, but I'm no longer going to make it mean something about me and instead kind of move forward because this is the life that I want. And that has to do with perspective, right? So perspective um, is I can't change what happened in the past, but I can change how I see it. Mm -hmm. And that changes my future. Mm pretty much. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that answered your question. It does. It definitely does. I know we're kind of going all over the place, but it is kind of a step-by-step, step, you know, this this order of things, understanding how your perspective plays a role and then going into all of the other elements. But um, And forgiveness is way later when it comes to conflict because it's very tough for people to do. What are the steps? Um, you mean in general? I guess, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because the next question was like, I, I know we're close on time and uh, it, so, but I wanted to ask you, how quickly can we do a part two of the podcast? Oh, uh, I mean, soon we'll just, we'll, let's figure out when our schedules work. I'd love to. Cause I'd like to, I'd actually like to, you know, maybe talk about something that, you know, how the listener or myself or you or whoever um, might be able to start becoming like more self-aware. That's yes. such a crazy question. Cause it's almost like natural, I guess now for me, it's like, how do you become more self-aware? So, but then I have to have you back immediately because we still, we haven't even touched the relationship stuff and the parenting stuff. <laughs> I know. And that's really one I wanted to get out, but it'd be good to break it up into two podcasts. Uh, I think. No, absolutely. I mean, okay. it's like when we get to talking, we could talk about everything, but I'd love to, I'd love to I keep know. talking about stuff. So 
the the breakdown is um, so I do a couple things um, where I offer free workshops, but then I do a lot of um, one on ones, and hopefully can roll it out into a, an entire like online course someone can mm-hmm. purchase. But um, starting with self awareness. That's like one of the first things I cover. One of the things I will cover in my uh, workshop coming up on um, the 14th is by becoming self-aware, you you want to know yourself, right? Because the more that you know yourself, you know what you're capable of. And when you understand yourself, you can understand your approach to others. Mm-hmm. So many people are going at life almost like blindly in a way. Like this is just how it is. I'm just kind of floating along. And if you don't really know um, why you do the things that you do or don't fully understand them, there's so much like untapped potential there. It's crazy. And so um, the first step, one, is really understanding what communication is. I shared that with you. A lot of people don't know it's learned. A lot of people know, don't know that you can't, uh, you cannot not communicate. So um, kind of breaking that down. And then going into perception and how it affects your reality, where it came from, your self-concept, starting with your family of origin to comparing yourself to others, but finding out um, on the other end that through personal construction, which is I get to choose how I want to make this life. But some people don't know that, right? One really cool thing that I, I share with my clients and my students, another kind of way to have empathy is to realize that most people struggle with communication because they were never taught how to do it effectively. Mm-hmm. And so before you think someone is doing something to you intentionally, just consider that they don't know a better way, right? And so before you want to hate on them and how dare them, realize that this is all they know. And most of the time it has nothing to do with you mm. and everything to do with where they're at. Yeah, It really helps when it comes to taking communication so personally, when you realize that most people are coming, they're fighting their own battle and they're coming at life the only way they know how, and you're getting kind of cro- you know caught in the cross uh, crossfire. And so when you're able to see that and take things a little bit less personally, you can not only begin to understand yourself, but begin to understand others. It's a really, really cool process. Um, so after self-concept, uh, you know, understanding verbal communication, the things that you say and the way that you say them and how that affects your communication with others, we bounce to nonverbal communication. Remember these messages we're constantly sending. If you don't realize that you kind of always look really serious or you have that RBF, that resting bitch face, (laughs) and everyone always thinks that you're upset. Oh shit. Through self-awareness, I can maybe realize, um, how I, uh, come off to others. That's the other element. We go into listening because most of our life is actually spent listening. Mm -hmm. And if you're a poor listener, not only are you not able to connect with others, but you probably um, don't really understand others a lot. And after that, that's kind of the first chunk of it. If you get those elements, you have a basic understanding. The second part of it is understanding how you are in conversation. Can Mm -hmm. you get deep with people? Do you freak out? Do you know the kind of questions to ask? There's no such thing as... um, people who kind of don't have substance, you pro- you just lack the questions to ask, right? And so the work is all here. It's not about other people and what they can do differently. Your life, you're in the driver's seat. Here's what I can do differently. So after um, conversation, we go into encouragement because being able to encourage others is freaking awesome. It actually makes you feel better when you can lift other people up. And then we move into conflict And then um, I end with relationships. So assuming that you've taken all these steps, you now can really see what it means to have a nurturing relationship, what it means to have ups and downs and to not always focus on the bad, but know that there's so much good. So that's kind of in a nutshell, the way that my course goes. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is crazy the kinds of uh, 
experiences students share with me, the kinds of relationships that they have with people in their life that they didn't have before. They see people in their lives differently. And if you see something differently, then you experience it differently. Um, And it's all just through the study of communication, something that we as human beings don't get a manual for. And so taking ownership of the fact this is my life and I want to be good at life, if that's even a thing. Yeah. How can I be better at it? How can I be better with others? So, um, yeah, I don't know if that answered your question, but that's it in a nutshell. Definitely, man. Like there was, like you said, I could definitely go on for probably a couple hours talking about (laughs) the rest of everything. But of course, you know, um, I think for the listener's sake too, we should break it up into two. Mm -hmm. Would love to have you back next week, actually, if you have the time. Yeah, we could figure something out. (laughs) Yeah. Um, for, I mean, you've deliver, delivered so much value and like opened up my, like opened up my eyes and I'm sure some of the, some of the listeners eyes too, to some interesting concepts and ones that I think are like ones that we just need to kind of incorporate into our daily lives. It helps be, it's, it's nice when you realize that how somebody's acting has nothing to do with you. It relieves a lot of anxiety, you know what I mean? Um, but for anybody who might want to communicate with you or get in touch with you after this, where can they find you? Yeah. I mean, the best place to go is probably my Instagram page. It has everything on there. And uh, the name or the handle is It's Rachel Friend. So I-T-S Rachel Friend, um, traditional spelling of friend. Um, but yeah, my, my link to my website, my next workshop's coming up and just some daily kind of inspiration. Sometimes that's all people need is a little daily dose is a different way of thinking. But all mm-hmm. I can hope for is something that I share to spark something in someone else. Like, wait a second. I want this. And then they can hopefully reach out to me and uh, find a, a way to get that. Because at the end of the day, I think we're all just trying to improve ourselves and our relationships with others. We just don't know how to do it. Yeah. And your workshop is in uh, Los Al, right? Yeah. So my first workshop's in Los Alamitos. Um, again, the link is up on, on Instagram. You do have to RSVP since the, space, the spaces are limited. Mm-hmm. I'll um, link it in the show notes too. Yeah. That would be awesome. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, so it's in Los Alamitos on Sunday, the, the 14th. That's exciting. Yeah. I know. I'm, I'm like debating for myself cause I would just love to see what you're up to and doing it. I have to run that by and see, see what we're doing. I feel like I'm yeah. at a wedding every weekend. This, no, I feel this you. Time. If you're around, bring your girlfriend. I would love both of you guys to come. A hundred percent. Thank you so much, Rachel. Um, to the listener, man, I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. We're going to have Rachel back as soon as possible to talk about relationships and, uh, her experience with parenting. I'm really excited about those two uh, subjects as well. If you love the episode, we would love a five-star review. If you didn't like the episode that much, feel free to stick it to us, but subscribe anyway, because we're going to have a lot of incredible people just like Rachel back on the show. Thanks again. Yeah.